0: Entering the Freedom Hut.
1: To have witnesses or not to have witnesses, that is the question. Plus, we had a Trump rally last night that laid out the case against the socialist Democrats. The Iowa caucuses just a few days away. Don Lemon's non-apology apology, apology, a mini peace plan courtesy of Jared Kushner, and more stories about how Kobe Bryant helped and inspired people. That coming up today on The Buck Sexton Show. This, this is the Buck Sexton, Sexton, Sexton Show,
0: where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence.
2: One call. Make no mistake. America. great, great America again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former
1: CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy.
2: It
3: is Buck Sexton.
1: Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Got much to get to today, as is our as is our standard, our custom, the way we roll here in the hut. Michael Bloomberg kicks us off today. Bloomberg, who is now, after, what, two months of officially being in the race, in his second month, I think, of officially being out there, spending so much money that people are playing games like how many Bloomberg ads they see in any given day. Blanketed the airwaves. He's all over the place. Michael Bloomberg wants to make sure that you do not have the temerity you do not have the gall to buy a 48-ounce soda for yourself. How dare you, sir? Bloomberg wants to make sure that his uh, anti-Second Amendment crusade is successful at the federal level. Wants to take the guns away. A lot of stuff about Bloomberg I don't particularly like. Some stuff I do. Got to gotta keep it real here in the hut. Always tell you what's really going on and how I really feel. Bloomberg, unlike the Democrats he's running against, is able to read a balance sheet, understand how a business functions, knows what efficiency and effectiveness are, has actually done things, has built an incredibly successful business, made him one of the richest men in the world. I mean, so there's some upside here. If Bloomberg were to become president, it wouldn't be as good as what we got with Trump. It'd be a lot worse in a lot of ways. Second Amendment, climate change, nanny state stuff, a lot lot of things would be a big problem. But if Bernie Sanders becomes president, I think you probably want to get to that gold you've stashed under the bed or in the backyard or wherever wherever you keep your precious metals, which are a store of wealth stretching back millennia. Just saying. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm a crypto guy. I can't tell you if that's going to be. I don't give financial advice here. I don't know if crypto is the way to go. But if if uh, Bernie Sanders wins that election, I can tell you this much: there will be a big stock market drop the next day because I'm just going to say, "Whoop." Got to see what it's like this time of year in New Zealand. Got to see if all that background we saw from the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies, is that as beautiful as it seemed? Because that's where they filmed New Zealand's where they filmed most of Lord of the Rings. Anyway, but the true Bloomberg story of the last 24 hours is not just that he is involving himself in this race in a way that already is making something of a difference. I mean, he's a top five candidate. There are people that have been running all along on the Democrat side who aren't nearly in the same category it helps to be worth 40 billion ish it's a private company so could he really sell it all no one really knows what the full effective net worth is one of my favorite listeners recently told me that one of my favorite phrases nobody really knows (laughs) do i really say that a lot producer mark i do man apparently no one can really tell you this is this is a very good impression of me that's making the rounds now Um, but I know a lot of things that I tell you, so that's hopefully helpful for all of you. One of them is this, uh, if you're going to, as part of your campaign, as, as what do we call him? Mini Mike or little Mike? I think it's mini Mike, mini Mike Bloomberg, as Trump calls him. If you're going to, uh, make the acquaintance of a canine, you should look like you've actually pet a dog before. And you probably want to avoid what Mike Bloomberg did, which is grab a dog's face and shake it (laughs) like like some kind of lunatic. I mean, he he wasn't trying it. It's just funny. I mean, this is ridiculous. But, you know, you get politicians on the campaign trail and they're kissing babies and trying to show how connected the people they are. And now all over social media, there are photos of Mike Bloomberg grabbing a dog. Looks like a yellow lab, which are wonderful dogs. And as you know, I absolutely love dogs. I'm sure—I think about 98% of this audience loves dogs, maybe 99. There's a couple of you dog—a lot of dog and cat people. There's some cat-only people in this audience, too. I've heard from them, though. Cat-only people. we gotta, we got to bring you over to the dog side. Bring you to the dog side. Uh, but Bloomberg grabbed this dog by by the face— <laughs> basically, and, like, wagged it up and down. Um, I've never seen anything quite like it. So you never know with something on this campaign trail. More interesting than most of the arguments that I've seen about witness, no witness, what's going to happen in the Senate trial, which is I, I've been so clear on this all along. When someone's throwing a long bomb in the end zone, you're on defense. What do you do, producer Mark? You whap it down. Just whap it down. Don't don't try to get cute. Don't go for that interception. You're in the end zone. You don't want an interception in the end zone. Just whap it down. I mean, maybe you do, but it'd be it's riskier is the point. I know the rules. I know the rules. I also know the Super Bowls on Sunday. So there. He's giving me a golf clap right now because it's important to know these things as an American. And I believe it is also the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers who are playing in this Super Bowl. I've been doing my research. We have my man Jesse Kelly joining later. If we can wake him up, I don't know, it's Texas time over there. I'm not sure what time it is. But we might have him joining to talk more about, about football. Also, hopefully my, my buddy, the, the erudite, always sensible David Efoun will be joining to talk about the uh, Arab-Israeli peace plan that has been rolled out. And and I suppose uh, we can also have some fun with the Trump rally, which I watched last night. Uh, my colleague here at the first Madison Jesiato, who will be in for me tomorrow on this show uh, on Pluto TV channel 248, the first as well as on radio stations across the country. One hundred and sixty of them. Bam. Uh, that that will be fun. But we watch the Trump rally. I'll have some moments from that Trump rally for you. But well, we're still figuring out this week that the big thing and, the, you know, the, the media fixation on this, remember, because 90 percent plus of journalists are leftists who want the president gone. And so this is for them. The Super Bowl is finding a way to help the Democrats get rid of this president. No, nothing else matters to them. I mean, they they were worried about World War Three. And I see President Trump said that Bolton wanted World War Six. If Trump had listened to him, that's what was going to happen, which I thought was a pretty funny line. Also a little scary. But World War III was supposed to happen a few weeks ago because of Soleimani. Of course, that wasn't the case. The genocide of the Kurds was supposed to happen because of Trump. That wasn't the case. Uh, China trade war was going to destroy our economy. That wasn't the case. I mean, you, you know, Russia collusion was going to be proven. The president was a traitor. Not the case. Huge, disgusting lie. And now they're on this one. I suppose they don't think the journos and the Dems, the libs, the Democrats, the socialists start using that term, more. I suppose they figure it's not possible for us to have. This is the last last straw fatigue. I thought it was the last draw when I was a kid for a long time, like when someone were to draw their pistol. I, I just thought was what it turns. It's last straw. It uh, turns out. So this is the last the last straw. Um, that analysis from the media is in fact. Not working the same way they thought that it would. And that's what takes us then into the latest on this impeachment removal proceeding, the Senate trial. Here's the big lie, the big I mean, there's so many, it's tough to keep track of it all. But the the big talking point that you're hearing from all of them now, because they desperately need to extend the clock. They need this to go into OT. See, we got sports analogies aplenty today because we got the Super Bowl Sunday. They need this to go into OT because otherwise the Republicans win and they know that. And even if they don't get a removal, this whole proceeding, everything from the beginning of the whistleblower up to present hasn't damaged the president and iota. Not one bit, not a not a smidgen of damage, you could say. Not, not, a, not a touch. Uh, it hasn't done anything, in fact, other than galvanize the president's supporters, and I think even people who are uneasy with the way President Trump responds to his critics, have their difficulties with his somewhat coarse approach to either journalists or his, his detractors or just anyone he doesn't like, but they see what's going on here and they probably say to themselves, well, if we have someone who's going to be in a street fight as any Republican president under these circumstances would be, just being a Republican with the journos and the Democrats being completely insane, as they are. Don't you want a brawler? They've put Trump through Russia collusion. He didn't invoke executive privilege. All the stuff, all the time. They had to look through everything. And remember, if they had found other criminality, if they had found other really impeachable conduct, don't you think you would have heard about it? That had nothing to do with Russia collusion or obstruction. They'd found something else. That was the biggest fishing expedition imaginable, funded by you, the taxpayer. With pro-Hillary, anti-Trump Democrat lawyers, it's a scary thing just to say out loud, running the whole thing. And they weren't able to find anything. They weren't able to get anything on Trump. They put forward this, oh, maybe there are 10 counts of obstruction. No, no. If someone obstructs, you have one count. Here's where they obstructed. You don't have 10. You don't create this a la carte menu so that that way you never have to defend any particular count. You just get to refer to the 10. It's not how it works. But now they've put Trump through this whole process. Now they have failed to make the case. They failed to even peel off Trump supporters or independents in this. They're not going to get a removal of the president. So what do they want? They want witnesses. Well, here's the problem. When the Democrats use the zero witnesses talking point, they're lying to you. They're being intentionally misleading. House Democrats have called 17 witnesses. How many... Republican witnesses. How many Republican designated witnesses have been called so far in this entire farce of impeachment? Zero, not one. 17 Democrat witnesses, zero Republican witnesses that are Republican only. The Democrats didn't want to get called, right? That just didn't happen. That their case was rushed and weak is not the Republicans' fault or problem. It's Democrats, partisan hack Democrats have made this situation, they should deal with it. Republicans are under no obligation to save them. In fact, Republicans would be abdicating their duty to their constituents and to truth and fairness if they bail out the Democrats from the mess they've created for, their, for themselves. They should vote to end this. And they should exonerate President Trump. Forthwith. sweet, Right away.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
4: I think it is clear the House managers failed to meet their burden. They failed to demonstrate an impeachable offense. They didn't even so much as allege that the president committed a crime. The Constitution requires high crimes or misdemeanors. And so I am confident that at the end of this process, uh, the president will be acquitted.
1: I'm confident too. Good to hear from. Senator and constitutional scholar Ted Cruz. By the way, there was a tweet last night from Alan Dershowitz, directed Elizabeth Warren, throwing some shade, as they say, effectively telling her, just because you can't understand the presentation that I made, doesn't say anything about my presentation. Says a lot more about your skills as a lawyer, Elizabeth Warren. I'm just going to put this out there. I was just, Say what you will about the Dersh. And he's been on a lot of sides of a lot of issues. He's a lib, by the way. People always forget that he's a lib. I've, I had to debate him once on CNN on gun control. He was a take the guns out of everybody's hands guy. He still is. But he has some respect for the law and the process of the law. He, he does see it as a system that's not just completely subject to the whims of the Democrat lib mob at any point in time. And as a lib is willing to tell them that. separate, Same thing with Jonathan Turley, by the way. Another lib. Another lib that thinks that people need to stop pretending the law doesn't say what it says just because they really want it to say something else. Just because the Democrats have failed, it does not mean Republicans should feel the need to bail them out. It also doesn't mean that we should believe anything that the media is saying at this point, because they've been hoping, in a sense, to restore some, if not credibility, Some belief in their power to direct our politics. I mean, the media is supposed to be a check on power. But as we know, what most journalists are, um, they are the propaganda wing of the Democratic Party. They are the, the zone of dissemination. They are the area in which the information from the left gets fed to the rest of us. And yes, there's some facts. There's some There's some actual information like what's the weather and is there traffic? But in general, the narrative is consistently, overwhelmingly in favor of the Democrats. They see this failure of removal of the president through Russia collusion and the special counsel. And now through an actual impeachment, they must recognize this as their own failure in some way. They just don't have the ability to shape and direct perception the way that they used to. And they were hoping that this would be an opportunity for them to get it back. They're also terrified of the notion of four more years of a Trump presidency where they will there will be a Republican who's willing to say, uh, stop being fake news. Stop being jerks. Stop lying. I like having a president who will say those things to them. I, I much prefer it to the alternative. So clearly they, dis- they disagree with me on that one. Speaking of people who disagree with me. Uh, Adam Schiff, let's just play. I, I know he, every time Schiff speaks, a lot of you feel like you got to take a shower. I, I get it. I know he's gross. He's dishonest, huge, huge liar. Adam Schiff is a liar. It's not just that I think he's wrong in things. The guy's a liar. He said that he saw proof of Trump Russia collusion never existed. Why isn't he asked about that by every journalist that's now carrying water for him? Oh, because they're they're like Schiff's little minions at MSNBC and CNN, etc. Um, here is. What he says, though, about the current state of this case play 13, for some Mark,
2: I can tell you uh, what my testimony is. He's guilty uh, and he should be impeached. Um, and I think the idea is uh, an absurd one. But then this is what you have to fall back on when, you know, just how damaging John Bolton's testimony is going to be. And I would say the same of Hunter Biden. If they want to a, a witness for witness, then let them call Mick Mulvaney. Mick Mulvaney has said that he disputes what John Bolton has to say. Let them call Mick Mulvaney. Let them call Secretary Pompeo. Uh, let them call people that are percipient witnesses to this scandal and this corrupt scheme. Uh, if they want a witness for a witness, but that's not really what they want. Uh, they want a distraction, and I don't think the senators want to allow their proceeding
1: to be turned into a circus. Two big problems here with Schiff. Shifty Schiff. Two big problems. One. He can't say, let them call. No, no. Let them call who they want to call, Shift. That's the point. You don't get to direct who they call in the witness-for-witness swap. But this is, again, a diversion. This is a slimy lawyer tactic. Oh, yeah, sure. Witness-for-witness, let's do that. Here are the witness-for-witnesses that we offer. No. You don't get to determine what the other side can call as a witness. But then there's the bigger problem. How is it? That Adam Schiff can declare definitively today, the president of the United States is guilty. He knows he's guilty. There's no question about his guilt. But then also in the same breath, practically, declare that they need additional evidence. They need more people to weigh in on this. And in the absence of that, it hasn't been a fair process. Why would you need more evidence if you already know that what you think happened is what happened? How can you make a declarative statement of someone's guilt when then you're also saying the process up to the point of your conclusion about that guilt is tainted by the lack of additional evidence? (gasps) How does he juggle that one? He doesn't because he's shifty shif. Thanks for listening to the Buck
0: Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And I'm also very proud to report that we won a critical Supreme Court victory yesterday on immigration. We will now be finally able to enforce federal law and ensure that those seeking admission to our country are able to support themselves financially and not abuse taxpayer-funded
1: programs. They were killing our country, killing our country. This is a big story, my friends, that has gotten almost no attention from the mainstream media because they feel like, well, one, they, they want to focus in on trying to bail out the failed Schiff impeachment. They want to do everything they can to use all of the um, all of the mechanisms that they have, the media has at their disposal to bolster the case that. Donald Trump should be removed from office and, and anything that isn't that right now at this critical juncture to try to resurrect their hopes of undoing the 2016 election and interfering using a distortion and abuse of congressional process interfering with the 2020 election. That if that is, in fact, what is going on here, um, well, that, that that's what's going on and they don't want anything to interrupt that process. They don't want anything to uh, be able to divert attention from the shiny object they're holding up here or there to try to get people to think, oh, wait a second, oh, Bolton's testimony, oh, Bolton's testimony. And just as an aside, President Trump, why did you bring Bolton into your administration? Whose idea was this? I I never get answers about this. It's very opaque, the uh, process of who around Trump is advising him on top personnel, I just, I just don't get it. I really don't under, you know, and now he's making jokes about the guy wanted to start World War Six. We all knew that Biden, Biden was described in the media as a super hawk, although it is amazing and quite hilarious seeing all of these people who were once warning us about Biden's warmongering tendencies, you know, the libs in the media and Democrats across the board, Biden wants war, Biden's terror. I mean, sorry, not Biden. Bolton, (laughs) wrong, wrong B. Bolton wants war. Bolton's out of control. And now they're like, Bolton is a truth teller. How could anyone, how could anyone doubt the walrus? The walrus is like, is practically like the owl of the great, of the great north, of the ice flows, of the tundra, you know, the walrus is the wisest of animals. I mean, it's ridiculous, but that is where we are. I want to tell you the story about what's going on right now in the uh, Supreme – well, what just happened in the Supreme Court and how it affects a very important policy that the Trump administration is trying to implement right now. Let's just start with – let's start with basics. On the books, for a very long time, there has been a federal – there's been federal law, federal statute that says that you cannot be in this country as an immigrant and be a public charge. This is very straightforward. If we're going to have a welfare state, as we do, depending on how you gauge it, about a trillion dollar a year welfare state. But if we're going to have a welfare state, uh, then we also have to have control over who comes and who goes. Otherwise, America is just a piggy bank cracked open for the pleasure of whoever decides to show up, come go as they please. I mean, this is, what could be more straightforward than this? You're not allowed to be here as an immigrant and expect other Americans— to pay for you. Not allowed to be a public charge. Well, the way, and this is a, a reminder of how just decrepit our uh, immigration enforcement has become, how, how utterly uh, bereft of, of sanity so much of this immigration policy, the way immigration law is enforced or not enforced is really the issue. It has been the case for some time that if you are in this country and you rely on public benefits, and this is for people that are trying to become green card holders or U.S. citizens, or people that are applying for visas, uh, meaning you know, they can look at them, they can essentially try to gauge whether they will become a public charge if they come into the country. So it, it's a pretty broad range of areas of immigration law this touches on. But the way it had been interpreted for a long time now was, well, unless you're only going to rely on cash benefits, direct welfare payments... You don't fall under the prohibition of people who come into this country and are a public charge. So that means food stamps, housing aid, Medicaid, whatever, you know, free health care, free food, free housing. You can you can avail yourselves of all of those things and somehow not be considered a public charge as somebody who is either coming to America or trying to become an American. Because despite what Democrats think, just Arriving on a, you know, in an airplane or walking across a land border somewhere or coming over on a boat and just standing in America does not legally or otherwise make you an American. There, there's something more to it than that. There is a process. We do have laws. We you know, with Democrats now. It's, oh, wait. I mean, you're here? You're going to vote Democrat? You're an American. That's the way that they approach it. Great. You need welfare? Fantastic. Then you're definitely going to vote Democrat. That's their perception. That's the way that they then. That's the reason that they then undermine so much of U.S. immigration law. So what what happened? Now, why am I telling you about the public charge rule? Because I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that. Wait, you can't just show up here and be on welfare and and sponsor you know through chain migration you know a half a dozen or a dozen more family members, and everyone gets to be on welfare, and there's no no problem with this in our immigration system. An immigration system that, by the way, I just was speaking recently to a friend. Uh, You know, very high powered, uh, very high powered friend who's who's from Turkey. And he's like, look, I've lost my job and I can't find someone to sponsor my visa. I I think I got to go back home. And you sit here like, so you have to the person that has all the skills and ability and is, you know, but but had to transfer jobs, you know, and can't find someone to sponsor a visa. That person has to go home. And Democrats are like, eh, I don't feel for that person. He might want to keep some of the money that he's earning, so he might be a Republican. We, we don't like that. But if you come here and you say, well, I want free housing or greatly subsidized housing, and I want you know f- food stamps, and I want free health care, um, and of course, you know in-state tuition for college and all those other things that the Democrats want to give illegals and let them vote, which they want to do that too, uh, that's for the Democratic Party and all these activist pro-immigrant groups, that's no problem. They think that's fine. So people that come play by the, all the rules and go through our, you know, Byzantine visa process and and don't want to overstay their visa because they want to be able, they want to be on the right side of American law, they have to suffer the consequences, go home, apply for new visas, get someone to sponsor their visa. They have to go through all this stuff. When all they're doing is actually paying you know, they're paying taxes and they're not getting there's not going to be any benefit unless they become a green card holder or a citizen. They're not going to get any benefit of a lot of the taxes they end up paying as a legal employee, a legal immigrant here. And so then we get to, all right, what comes up next here? So now we've got this establishment of whether or not you're going to be a public charge. What's the next point that we have to look at? And it would be that the federal courts, which are being used, as we know, as a hashtag resistance tool against the president, mostly Obama appointees. In fact, it's often the same judges. These same judges are becoming heroes to the left, especially in San Francisco, you know, the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. I mean, you, you look at where this is happening. It keeps happening in the same places. And there's an abuse of universal... You know, The process can be abused by bad faith actors, and there are judges who are doing that. There are judges who hate Trump, they're sitting there, a federal judge sitting on the bench, and they go, oh, I don't like this thing the Trump administration is going to do. Boom, universal injunction. And their reasoning has been as flimsy as things like, well, I don't like things Trump said. And this is real. I don't like what Trump said on the campaign trail and how that maybe affects this issue. So even though the legal authority is clearly there and, statu- and from a statutory perspective, the Trump administration is correct, I'm going to say, nope, nowhere in the country are you able to do this. Universal injunction. And you might say, well, how many times this happens? It's happening dozens of times now. They keep doing it over and over again. And they keep losing when it goes to the Supreme Court. Well, now we have another instance of exactly that happening. 5-4, which when 5-4 goes the way libs want it to, the Supreme Court is sacrosanct. How dare you question it, right? Obamacare. (gasps) Obamacare is absolutely constitutional. 5-4 decision in its favor. Well, this was a 5-4 decision that remove the universal injunction, it doesn't. it's not a final decision, but it removes the universal injunction that one federal judge put on the Department of Homeland Security saying, oh no, it's a wealth test, you're not allowed to consider, even though it's a function of law, it's in the text. You're not allowed to consider whether an immigrant is a public charge. You're not allowed to consider whether somebody who was a green card holder, if they're going to become a citizen, is on welfare benefits. I mean, the the Democrat platform on immigration is effectively don't enforce the laws and bring the poorest non-English speaking people you can into this country by the millions because that's going to make this a better, richer, more law abiding place. That's effectively the Democratic Party's view on this issue. And, And what the law says doesn't really matter. They're a party of lawlessness, which, as we know, creates more lawlessness. If you don't enforce something for a long time, then the case just becomes, well, they don't enforce it. So why are you going to enforce it now? If this law is not enforced, why should that law be enforced? I mean, it erodes the entire foundation of rule of law on immigration and everything else. That's what the Democrats do, and then the abuse of these judges with universal injunctions. This is outrageous. Attorney General Barr has raised this. Is this is it is truly? They always say what Trump does is unprecedented, and then they find out like every president before him did this thing. This is unprecedented. There were only a handful of injunctions against Obama. By the way, those injunctions were right. They were upheld. These injunctions against Trump are over and over and over again from libs who are in hysterics on the federal bench, and they keep getting overturned. No, you can't do that. No, you can't just not like this as a judge and say, I override the executive branch. I override the president of the United States and the entire branch of government that he heads up. That's where we are now. So... Yeah, that's right. If you're going to come to America and rely on welfare benefits, maybe you're not the best choice of an immigrant for a country that tells a lot of other people you can't be here. You know, you're uh, you know, you're a, a Romanian Ph.D. and you're going to do advanced research on curing cancer. Eh, you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops. You know, you, you want to come here from from Ghana and you speak, you know, five languages and you're going to be doing advanced research on. You know, the aerodynamics of uh, a new fighter plane or something, you know, hey, you got to jump through a lot of hoops, you know, Romanian, Ghanaian, you know, whoever. But you're just going to show up from some country and be like, oh, I'm an American now. I'm going to get as much as I can, a lot of benefits, bring my family, more benefits for them. That's fine, the Democrats say. How dare you challenge that?
5: Why do we even have an immigration
1: system then? They don't have an answer for this, of course, because what are they doing? Seeking power. That's what this is all about. You're in the Freedom Hut.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
6: Is Hunter Biden a relevant witness, Senator? Uh, You know, I I think so. I really do. I don't have a problem there because this is why we are where we are. Now, I think that he can clear himself of what I know and what I've heard. But being afraid to put anybody that might have pertinent information is wrong, no matter if you're a Democrat or Republican.
1: Let's break this down for a moment. That's Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, who did vote to confirm Kavanaugh, by the way. Got to remember that. Probably because he realized that about 70% of West Virginians wanted him to, and he wanted to keep his job. But here's Manchin being asked the question by Willie Geist, who I've never met, but I've always heard is actually a very nice fellow uh, from people who do know him. Asked, is Hunter Biden a relevant witness? And let me break down for you why the answer has to be yes. There there can be they can try all these contortions about it's not relevant. It's not relevant. No, it's absolutely relevant. What is the crime here? Well, as we know, there is no crime. They're not alleging a crime. What is the misdeed? Abuse of power. What is central to the claim that Trump abuses power? That and, and this is the this is the beginning of the of the entire maelstrom. It's a fun word. That we find ourselves in right now, right? So, what what is what is central to all of that? That when the president asked about the Bidens and Burisma, that that there was no basis for that, that there was no reason for the president of the United States to ask about corruption involving the Bidens and Burisma. That is, if if in fact, Hunter Biden was engaged in criminal corruption with Burisma, which we don't know because we haven't looked into it to our satisfaction yet. Yeah, We get to investigate things, too. If, in fact, that is the case, then the entire rest of the narrative the Democrats have falls apart because if the president had a legitimate ask, if the president had real reason to think that there was, as I believe he did and and does, real reason to think that there was something illicit going on there or something that even, if not illegal was corruption that affected the implementation of executive branch policy in Ukraine. Again, not a crime, but illicit, wrong, problematic. The president's allowed to ask if it's a legitimate national interest, as we have declared Ukraine is an essential national interest. The president is allowed to ask the question. So if at the center of this you have Hunter Biden and the ask about his conduct, which the Democrats have skipped. The part of this that they skip past right away is clearly there was no, it was a conspiracy theory. They say there's no reason to think there's anything wrong here. No, there's plenty of reason to think there's something wrong here. And no no serious person says otherwise. There's plenty of reason to think there's something wrong. Okay. So then doesn't that make Hunter Biden relevant to this? of Of course it does. But you see, the Democrats at this point are, pushing for the optics. The Democrats at this point are doing everything in their power to make sure that, if nothing else, this whole thing looks bad for Trump. They're not going to get him removed. They're not going to get him taken from office. But at least they want to be able to cut some campaign commercials using witnesses like Bolton and you know, calling Trump a liar. And that's what they're going to say. Look at Bolton, You know the walrus. Everyone should trust him. The wise old walrus. How could anybody... And that's where we are. That's what this really boils down to. So I I give some credit here to Manchin, who, you know, is a guy that has to play a little bit. How Manchin is now? He should just be in the Republican Party at this point. I mean, I I can't imagine that he. But if we are going to look at the reality of a witness swap, there is no real case to be made. There is no real case to be made that Hunter Biden is not a relevant witness, because it is, in fact, the question about Hunter Biden That is the is the genesis is the origin story of this entire fiasco. That's what this all comes down to. And if Trump's ask about the Bidens and Burisma, Burisma was legitimate. Everything else the Democrats have said, the whistleblower, all this other crap is a waste and a lie. So Democrats can't risk that. And if they're not going to give us a witness for witness swap and we do this. Republicans are completely insane. I think they're insane if they don't just shut it down this week. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show
0: podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever
2: you get your podcasts. My vision presents a win win opportunity for both sides. A realistic two state solution that resolves the risk of Palestinian statehood to Israel's security. This is the first time Israel has authorized the release of a conceptual map illustrating the territorial compromises it's willing to make for the cause of peace, and they've gone a long way. This is an unprecedented and highly significant development. Mr. Prime Minister, thank you for having the courage to take this bold step forward. Palestinians will be able to seize the new future with dignity, self-sufficiency, and national pride. To ensure a successful Palestinian state, we are asking the Palestinians to meet the challenges of peaceful
1: coexistence. President Trump talking about the newly unveiled, really offer in the start of a peace process uh, between Israelis and Palestinians. Uh, we've brought in our friend David Efun now to talk to us about what this really means. He's the editor-in-chief of the Alga Minor, old buddy of mine. David, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Buck. All right, so first let's start with you know, the president there is talking about an Israeli step forward. W- what are the steps that have been taken? I mean, what what got us to this point? What's the president talking about?
7: Well, I think you know they've looked back at what's been discussed and what's what's been tried in the past, and I think what's unique about the approach that they've taken, you know, it's it's what I would describe as a a massacre of sacred cows. There's there's been so much that's been standardised about the way these, these discussions have taken place over the last decades, and it really appears like they've tried to look at this with a fresh set of eyes, fresh approach, and say, look, it hasn't worked until now. Let's try something new here. And there are a few elements to what they're doing that are completely new. I think first and and most importantly is their willingness to apply pressure to the Palestinian side, as well as incentives. You know, in the past, it's sort of been pressure the Israelis uh, and then incentivize the Palestinians. Here, they're willing to pressure the Palestinian side as well. Hopefully, it will yield different results, even though not many... Are optimistic. But I think there are a few incredible things that, that Trump has actually been able to achieve on the Israeli side. And that is, you know, almost unified endorsement of this approach from the top political players. You know, the way things have unfolded in the past, you had the government was behind potential prospective American peace plans, and then the opposition would oppose it, you know, as vehemently as possible. Now you have the opposition and the government. Um, you know, so far at this stage because we don't know what the government will look like in six or eight weeks' time. Um, but it seems that whatever the outcome is, they'll have ground to stand on to be able to move forward. And I would- think another thing that's... Go ahead, yes, go ahead David. Go, go, go ahead. No, another thing that's super important is that they've been able to address in a, in a real comprehensive fashion Israel's legitimate security needs. I mean, the country has been traumatized by the aftermath of the Oslo Accords and by the 2005 disengagement from Gaza. Basically, every inch of territory they've ever pulled out from has become a a uh, hotbed of of <laughs> weaponry and attacks, you know, against the Jewish state. So, Israelis are really, really reluctant um, to engage in anything like this. But by but by insisting that that whatever um, territory the Palestinians control is demilitarized, and by ensuring that Israelis still maintain security control over those areas, especially the Jordan Valley. I think it it certainly um, puts the Israeli security hawks at ease um, over you know what the security implications would be of having you know effectively a hostile state established in the midst of their territory
1: but now how would this let's just we'll get into how this might fail in a second but but let's start with yeah. if you know so the Israelis you say it looks like they're politically unified on this, how would this proceed if the Palestinians were willing to at least Move this off first base. What would that look like, and and what would happen?
7: First of all, just for the record, my personal review, my personal view is that no territorial concessions are a good idea, um, because you know you can't, you have to take into consideration the response. Of the other side, and you know the the track record is pretty pretty clear. Um, any concession has left has led to to more uh, bloodshed and just a continuation of this conflict. But that's you know we, we're that's my own personal view. We're analysing you know how things may play out. In the event the Palestinians come to the table, they might have some pushback. You know Jared Kushner, in an interview with CNN, um, invited Palestinians to sort of um, haggle on details. So you know they'd say, well, we 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 like this part of it, we don't like this part of it. You know, we're willing to accept this, we're willing, to, we're not willing to accept that. Um, that that might be a, a reasonable approach. I don't think there's any chance of that happening. The response is a day of rage, and I think Kushner said it right. You know, you you're not ready to 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 take the responsibility of statehood on behalf of a people if your response to uh, a, a reasonable proposal is is a day of rage. Well, you know, let, me, let
1: me actually have Jared Kushner, in a sense, weigh in here. Producer Mark, yeah. play, play 16, please.
3: It's a big opportunity for the Palestinians, and you know they have a perfect track record of blowing every opportunity they've had in their past, but perhaps maybe their leadership will read the details of it, uh, stop posturing, and do what's best to try to make the Palestinian
7: people's lives better. What do you think? He's right about that. And you know, people will say, Well, they've been offered much better stuff in the past, um, so why would they accept this? Um, that's also true. But you know something? A lot has changed since then the the people are moving on the region is moving on you know relations with between Israel and the Arab states are developing regardless of the Palestinians and frankly they're getting they're getting left in the dust so yes you might have got a better offer for your taxi medallion a year ago but now it's not worth the same amount and the currency that the Palestinians hold is is growing weaker by the day I think is right Trump is right this is really a, a a a last opportunity for them, and you know they can turn around and squander it, and then the response from certainly many in the region is going to be: look, you had your chance, you blew it. We don't really care about about anything that you have to say at this stage. If Israel wants to go ahead and annex the territory, you know it's justified to do so. I mean that that seems to be what the response from the United States is. They're they're saying four-year halt. On new settlements, um, but at the end of that four years, if the Palestinians haven't come to the table, and obviously Trump is still in office, um, uh, th- he would probably finish off his sem- his his term, his second term, if he's elected for a second term, um, by you know accepting Israeli sovereignty over that entire region. What what do you, know, you that's think? That's basically the-, the offer that they have on the table right now. So right. what do you right, think the offer. the uh, objections?
1: I mean, yeah, you mentioned that they've already had like a day of a day of rage and there's people lighting things on fire and yelling and protesting on the Palestinian side, which that is very, unfortunately, that is kind of a cliche at this point. Whenever there's a a peace offer made, there's always Palestinians who freak out and burn things and get mad. Uh, But explain to me what the what are their objections? They're above board, you know, out in public objections likely to be over where this process is now from the Trump administration.
7: Look, it, if this would have been the first time that they had rejected a peace deal, you know, I, you might want to. It might make sense to delve into the details and say, well, it has this in it that they don't like and that that they don't like. But they've rejected every peace deal that's been on the table. They rejected peace deals from Barack, from Olmert, from you know, going all the way back to the UN partition plan. There's never been a peace deal that they have accepted. You know, the Palestinian Charter, the PLO Charter, the Palestinian Authority still calls for the right of return of some, you know, seven million refugees into israel proper so the 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 position the unmovable position of the the palestinian um leadership at this stage has been we don't want any jews in the levant at all ever and you know if if that's if that if they're not willing to to move um to take a step away from that stance Uh, which they haven't shown any willingness or ability to do so frankly over the course of of not you know the trump presidency but the course of the history of this conflict um, then you know i think the trump approach is the right one it's like listen you know at this stage we've had enough it's it's here's your option you know take it come to the table have a real discussion um, or we're moving the hell on. We we've had enough of this. You can't hold the region hostage uh, any longer.
1: Is it true that this is not this is not? Is it fair to call this? Would you call this uh, a pathway to a two-state solution, or how should this be thought of by people that would like to see this resolved? And as you point out, even the region is kind of. I mean, I remember I worked for Dennis Ross gosh, I don't know, almost 20 years ago now, and the Clinton years, I mean, getting an Arab-Israeli peace deal. You're aging yourself now, but... I know, I know. I'm a gray-beard millennial, darn it, although my beard is not as as dope as David's beard. His beard is legit. Right. But, (laughs) you know, I remember when that that was the... uh, If you could pick a foreign policy challenge that the... Across the board, the intelligentsia in this country could have had a hand in fixing. It was the Israeli-Palestinian issue, really. I mean, that was the one that everybody was so focused on late 90s, early 2000s. It it does seem, you know, Israel has secured itself, uh, has built the barriers, understands how to keep its people safe. So, I mean, is this kind of the last, do you think this might be the last gasp of even trying to do anything other than just, okay, status quo favors Israel? I mean, what, what happens if the Palestinians reject this?
7: Well, I think, you know, history will continue to march right on by them. I mean, the, the Israeli people have moved on. They tried the Oslo Accords in the 90s. They tried the disengagement. And they firmly reached the conclusion that territorial compromise is not the way to go. Um, and, you know, you see that repeated Israeli governments. I mean, even the major opposition party, the Blue and White Party, you know, is not in favor of the kind of, um, you know, peace concessions that that Barack and Alma had made in the past. The Israeli people have moved on. At this stage, it looks like the the sort of west-leaning, moderate, Sunni states, Gulf states, um, are, are are moving on. they no longer see, so the Palestinian issue is central to their relations with the Israelis. There are other issues. Um, I think behind the scenes, that also applies with the Egyptians and the Jordanians. So really, um, you know, I think you know what what Trump is saying is absolutely right. I mean, their history is marching on by, and yes, it for a long time. Um, The Palestinians could hold the Israelis hostage, but now they don't hold hold that much sway anymore. You know, things have changed. Things have changed on the ground. The culture has changed. The geopolitical landscape has changed. It's shifted. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, you're asking what the outcome will be. Um, Obviously, it'll depend a great deal on whether this administration is still – in office in four years' time, but but if they are and if they're in a in a position to, to see this thing all the way through, I think they're they're, they're just going to say, look, you know what, Israel, you can do whatever you want to this stage. We we agree with you. There's absolutely nobody home, nobody to talk to, and uh, you know we can't just you know put this whole region on pause until the Palestinians wake up. David
1: Afoon, everybody, editor in chief of the Alga Miner. They're doing great work. Go check out the Alga Miner. Uh, online today. David. thanks so much. Always a pleasure, bud. You're in in the the Freedom Hut. Hut. This is the Buck Sexton
4: Show podcast. The House managers decided in the House they didn't want to call John Bolton. John Bolton went to a federal district court, affirmatively went to a federal district court, and said, Judge, I will follow your directions. If you tell me, Judge that I should testify, despite the president and the White House invoking executive privilege, John Bolton said he would testify. And and the House managers went to the district court and affirmatively said, no, we're not seeking John Bolton's testimony. We're not going to subpoena John Bolton. We're not going to try to get him to testify. And having made that decision, they made the decision in the House. It wasn't worth it. They didn't need his testimony. What's going on now? House managers haven't proven their case. They know they haven't. And so they just want to drag this on. They're playing a delay game. They want to keep this open for weeks and weeks and months and months and play delay and try to go fishing and try to find something because they haven't proven their case yet. I don't think that's, uh, that is a strategy that is in the interest of the American people. I think the American people are ready to move on. They're tired of this, this circus. Uh, and and I hope that, that 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 we do that. We move on. and i and I hope on Saturday we vote on final judgment and and we acquit the President. We find the President not guilty. Amen.
1: I like Ted Cruz when he's all fired up like that. I, I, I agree with everything that he said there. And I don't always agree with that, but usually I do. I agree with everything that he said there, completely correct. Spot on. That is what is going on here. That is the game that they are playing. And they should vote to acquit on, I guess it's on Saturday, they're saying now. This thing should be over and done with. Let's just move on. Remember, moveon.org, the left-wing site of just collected bile and left-wing refuse. Uh, Moveon.org started out as a site about move on from the impeachment of Bill Clinton. It's amazing, isn't it? And now if you look at move on, it's, oh, we must impeach Trump. (laughs) They don't want to move on anymore. No more moving on. They've moved on enough. They've moved on enough. Oh, man. It's it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, they, uh, they should just do this. They should move to acquit the president of the United States. But there's an interesting development. This is what made me think that we should just re- return to this for a moment. Reported here in Politico, one of the big weaknesses of this effort to take down Trump has been that it is not even in the least... Bipartisan, not a single Republican member of the House voting to impeach the president of the United States. This has been a straight party line impeachment, which everyone until today, everyone would have agreed until now. Till Democrats want something. I want that. That's the that's what Democrats think. The law means the Constitution means I want it. That's way. That's what it is. That's all that matters. That's why I say that the party crybabies. The rules don't matter. The Constitution doesn't matter. they'll be hypocritical. They'll make demands. They'll lie about one thing and change their mind the next, and it's just crazy. Everybody would have agreed that you needed to have a bipartisan impeachment until today. Now all of a sudden we've changed our mind. Now all of a sudden there's something else going on. It's different. Okay, well, uh, that's as I said, it's because Democrats want something. But here you have political reporting, quote a trio of moderate Senate Democrats. is wrestling with whether to vote to convict Donald Trump in his impeachment trial or give the president the bipartisan acquittal he's eagerly seeking. Democrat Senators Joe Manchin, there he is again, of West Virginia, Kirsten, not to be confused with Kristen, Sinema of Arizona, and Doug Jones of Alabama are undecided on whether to vote to remove the president from office and are struggling over where to land, said Manchin. It's a decision that could have major ramifications for each senator's legacy and political prospects, as well as shape the broader political dynamics surrounding impeachment heading into the 2020 election. This would be big. This would be meaningful if you had a number, not just one, three Democrat senators who say, sorry, not going to go along with this sham impeachment of the president. Because then what you would have is a political process that has shown zero Republican support for the conviction side, for the get Trump side, and has shown Democrat support for the this whole thing was wrong. They're wrong to do this. Uh, And, of course, they have been wrong to do this. But this is where you have to think, okay, well, at least there are some Democrats that have the good sense to be considering christian cinema by the way i mean she's in a you know she's up for a she's in a a difficult uh, state for a democrat to win these days tough to win as a socialist in some places unfortunately too easy to win as a socialist in you know massachusetts california new york but other places you still have to pretend you like the constitution and capitalism so that helps republicans sometimes because democrats can't get away with being complete commies uh but then you have the Mitt Romney and Susan Collins, and I think there's one or two others who are just still thinking about maybe extending this to give the Democrats what they want side of things. And with Mitt Romney, it's just it's just all hubris. It's just all arrogance. I used to think Mitt was, uh, uh, you know, a really... I, I don't know. I, I thought he came across as an earnest, decent guy. And now I realize Mitt Romney is a really arrogant guy. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple
0: podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: Mr. President, thank you for all you've done to add respect and resources to our military, to our great veterans, having the best economy in the world, two new trade deals. Two Supreme Court justices, two dead terrorists. That's two terms.
1: Two, two, two equals two. Not sure about the math on that, but the politics works out. Two new trade deals, two Supreme Court justices, two dead terrorists referring to Qasem Soleimani and Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. That equals two terms for the president. This was uh, one of the more memorable... One of the more memorable uh, moments from last night. You know, I've actually been in Wildwood, New Jersey, and it was by accident. Not that Wildwood is not an amazing place; it's actually quite lovely. I had a very nice meal there. Um, I enjoyed it, but I was going to the Delaware Beach, and I didn't realize that there is a ferry. If you can drive all the way down to the tip of Southern New Jersey, there's a ferry that'll take you to uh, to the Delaware side. But if you miss the last ferry. You got to, like, drive all the way back up. It's a, it's a nightmare. You don't want to do that. So I ended up uh, missing the last ferry because I didn't do my due diligence and stayed in Wildwood for the night, which is where Trump had his rally last night. And I'll tell you, Producer Mark, Wildwood is quite lovely, actually. Even Wait, hold of... on. You were late for something? That's cold, you know. Does it always have to be like that? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to give a shout out. I always think of you as being a guy who likes New Jersey, but you're actually yeah. a Long Island guy.
5: I'm thinking of moving to New Jersey though. That's right though. It saddens me because I've called it the armpit of America for a very long time. Wow, you're going to be living in the armpit then. I know. You're going to. Wildwood, though, I think is about a two
1: and a half. Oh yeah, that's south. South. That's basically Philadelphia. Yeah, that's way down there. Um, but so it's a nice beach. I actually got to check out the beach a little bit. I've never been to the beach. It was cold, but I mean, it was still nice. So. I, I have to say it was quite quite lovely. Um, I, I highly recommend it if you. Mention A lot it down of people
5: there. love that area, the boardwalk, all that stuff. Yep, yeah, yep.
1: And and last night you had thousands and thousands of people who were gathered uh, last night. Uh, yeah, Cape May, the Cape May ferry. Producer Eric actually just sent that one to me. The Cape May ferry. That was the one that I was uh, trying to trying to get to. And. Uh, yeah, I missed it, and so I had to spend the night. Wow, I went to a great restaurant. It was really fun. Anyways, the, all these thousands of people gathered last night. You see this Trump rally that happens. Thousands inside, thousands outside. It's it's really a cultural event. I and mean, when you see the way that people will line up for hours and hours, it's as though they're going to see their favorite rock band of all time, and they're going to see President Trump speak. Uh, we're going to have a lot more of this. There, there's no dampening of enthusiasm i remember when you know when bush for example ran for re-election it was you know we had the wars going on and it was a little bit of a rally around the commander in chief situation but he wasn't good there weren't rallies where there were people that were camped out by the thousands you know overnight on the street to make sure they'd get into and this is stuff you usually gonna see for a uh you know a, a springsteen concert god forbid I like I, I like just poking the Springsteen fans out there because there's so many of them and they get all they get all touchy. But he's the best live act ever. Yeah. What's spring? Born in the USA. Are we really going to we're really going to hang our hat on that being the, the great rock song of a generation? First of all, it's, it's kind of anti-American. Don't even get me started on that. So is Springsteen. So he's wearing that little vest. Anyway, he's no Coldplay, producer Mark. He is no Coldplay. I'll tell you that much. I'm not sure which one is I agree with more left wing, but they're both pretty left
5: wing. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, uh, so, anyways, the, the Trump rally last night. There were some interesting moments, and and most of all, he just launched into. And this this is why I think there's such a a sense of dread. There's a sense of dread among Democrats going into this this re-election phase here for Trump because his record is fantastic. I mean, I I say that and people yell and then they'll try to they'll point to like some Vox.com study of how wages in certain states haven't, uh, you know, when adjusted for inflation, been quite as amazing. I mean, It's like they're trying so hard to find things to make the argument that the results of the Trump presidency are not the results alone are not sufficient to warrant his reelection. And I look at this and I just say. Uh, at, at what point is is this just silly? At, at what point are they making arguments that are so foolish that even their own side will see through it? And so they'll just make arguments about how Trump is unfit and he's a mean tweeter and he, you know, he orders his steaks well done and, and, and other things that are stylistically problematic. And his tie is too long sometimes. That I don't understand. I feel like that's one you don't, you know, I mean, for a guy who spends his life wearing a suit. What's with the, you know, the tie should not be,
5: it should not be, you know, more than an, it shouldn't be below the belt. I, mean, I it should, can th- never get my tie length correct. Really? Every time. Th- I mean, I don't wear a suit often anymore, but I can never get it right. I just realized, I saw
1: you at your wedding dressed up, and it yeah. was- Well, it, it was a bow tie. I know, but I was like, oh my gosh, producer Mark, he's not wearing- Sports attire and or a sweatshirt. I'm not wearing any sports attire today. Sweatshirt yeah. and or. That's what well, they Well, I
5: work in radio. What am I going to come to work dressed just, up for? I'm
1: just saying it's not exactly, this guy is not exactly, not exactly trying to impress the bosses here with his sartorial effort. I'm Our just bosses say.
5: work uptown.
1: <laughs> I know. They never see yeah, us. Exactly. They could be here. You don't know. Never. That's probably true. Yeah. So, you know, we have, we, we, we have uh, the things to look at now for the Trump presidency that are good. Are things that are objectively good, right? The the and, and today is a perfect example. The president is signing the USMCA, U.S. Mexico Canada Agreement, which they really should have come up with a cool name. You know, I mean, it, like if Trump finishes this wall uh, along the U.S. Mexico border or builds a lot of it, it needs to be the Great Wall of Trump. You know, or it just we, we need to have a good name for things. And this is a guy who understands branding, so I'm a little disappointed. Even though NAFTA, you know, North American Free Trade Agreement, is a kind of a mouthful, but it's got the acronym. And every, people in government love acronyms. I used to be able to speak as a little CIA uh, cog in the machine. I, I used to be able to speak in almost entirely acronyms, which, let me tell you, does not help you get a date on a Friday night. But I, I used to be able to speak in acronyms uh, fluently. And, and the problem with USMCA is the USM, USMCA... Is a USMC, yeah, USMCA is not something you can say. And it's also, anyway, I know it's not a big deal. Let's get back to the focus of what does matter. He's signing a a historic trade agreement that is an update to NAFTA that is going to be in the interest of American workers and businesses. Uh, This was necessary. And I still remember when he was at the early stage of this, People were mocking him, saying he didn't understand trade, he was gonna make everything worse, he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, okay, well, now we have this is a bipartisan deal, folks. I Meaning the, the, the Democrats have gone along with this too. It's like, yeah, this was this was the right thing. So even in the midst of an administration being under siege by unhinged libs, the president is still getting stuff done. And not only is he getting stuff done, he's doing, he's accomplishing certain things. That people, even some conservatives in the early in the early phase of this, were opposed to. So this wasn't an obvious thing to do. Why didn't Obama do it? Why didn't you know? Why didn't Bush do it? The, the NAFTA trade deal is over 20 years old. So how can anyone think that this shouldn't be updated for the times? And that that's what has ended up happening here. Will Trump get a China trade deal in his second term? I think it's quite possible. But two new trade deals. So we're talking about the trade deals. Two Supreme Court justices. This is another area where, if you voted for Trump, there were some people who just felt like, no matter what, if Trump gives us good judges, it's worth it to have him instead of Hillary. I mean, that was that was a a broad stroke of their uh, calculation, but that was a calculation people were making at the time. And Trump has been better on judges. Trump is better on judges. Uh, people, I'm not. Try- I'm not trying to offend St. Reagan's folks out there, but if you look at the record. Trump better on judges, at least Supreme Court judges, and also the number of judges getting appointed. Now, they've changed Senate rules, so you, I understand that, but, you know, results are results. Scoreboard, baby. Results are results. And Trump is getting judges through in a way that will affect future generations. He's getting Supreme Court—he's had two excellent picks to the Supreme Court. and Now you get into—he might have another Supreme Court pick if he— manages to win reelection, which terrifies Democrats. Because unlike other Republicans, unlike Mitt Romney if he were in the position of president, which will never happen, Trump's not going to say, yeah, I'm just going to concede to the other side so they think I'm a good guy. And let's put some like basically some not so not so super lib lib in a Supreme Court seat just so the libs don't get all upset at me. You know, let's do them let's get Merrick Garland out again, you know? No. It's probably going to be Amy Coney Barrett. If that happens, although, you know, who knows, but that's a likely choice. He's not going to run it. He's not going to put a dude in this spot. That much, I think, is pretty clear because Democrats will, they'll, uh, oh, Democrats will run the Kavanaugh playbook exactly as they ran it against Kavanaugh all over again. Any male that they try to replace uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg with, any Republican conservative, they would find someone who says, yeah, he. You know that he he I was a I was a waitress at this place and he touched me inappropriately and you know hashtag me too and whatever I mean they would they would find some person to make some some story they would do it again they they do not they have not repudiated that disgusting assault on Kavanaugh one bit but Trump has been fabulous on judges he's been excellent on trade I mean what people keep saying oh well it's hurt the economy. I mean, the stock market's at all-time highs, folks. Unemployment's at all-time lows. uh, How how much? Yeah, I guess it could always be a little better. You know, the country could always be a little richer, but apparently the trade approach from Trump on China, uh, dealing with the EU, with Canada, with Mexico, pretty good. And uh, when are we going to... If you had told me when Trump came into office, and this is what really the rally last night reminded me of, if you had told me when Trump came into office that this is where we would be as a country going into his fourth year, I would think, wow, he must have really, he must have flipped a lot of Democrats to his side. Now, Trump is saying that that is happening. Producer Mark, would you please play clip 10?
2: Americans of all political beliefs are sick and tired of the radical rage-filled left socialists. I never saw anything what's going on in this country. What's going on in this country, the Democrat, really, the Democrat Party is the Socialist Party. and may be worse. Voters are making a mess, exodus from that party, and we are welcoming them to the Republican Party with wide open arms.
1: The Democratic Party is the Socialist Party. He's right. Republicans need to say that. Need to stop walking away from it. It's reality. It's true. They can call themselves Democratic Socialists, but... They're on board for policies that are socialist now. That, that's that's really not an arguable. I mean, they can argue it, but that's not a point that fair-minded people have any questions on. And as to whether or not there is this mass exodus in the Democratic Party, I think, unfortunately, that's probably not yet the case. It's not the case, although I, know I appreciate the president's enthusiasm. Here's one of the great problems we have in politics. One of the issues... With dealing When you're talking to a Democrat about anything political, is that they, they have created a, a culture, a political culture whereby you are or in which you are linked to that party and to those beliefs. And that means you're a good person. If you're a Democrat, you're a good, smart person. They, they've really brainwashed people into thinking this. I mean, as a Republican, if someone brings me evidence that I'm wrong on something, that a policy would be better off, I'm always open to it. And I will change my mind on things. I, I I am not locked in. And I know this is true of many, many, many conservatives, Republicans, etc. that I know. Well, we will take on evidence and we will change positions on policies because ultimately it's about what's best, what's true and what's right. Not I used to think this thing and I'm a really smart, good person. So I can't change my mind on that thing because then I won't be a really smart, good person anymore. Right. This is the problem with trying to convert Democrats. They internalize their politics so that it is a part of their own personal branding, their own sense of self. And that's why, unfortunately, I think as much as Trump, it is true, we'd love I mean, more The more Democrats, the mayor. I want more Democrats listening to this show. It's a big ask. I think a lot of them won't, but you know, some do. I want more, too. But we also need to break people away from the idea that their politics, uh, in terms of policy positions and the party they support, is intrinsic to who they are as a human being, because it's not. Every policy should be viewed independently. Every issue, every party should be held to account and should be criticized, and we should always feel like we exist as as moral, ethical, and intellectual beings separate from a political apparatus. We support that apparatus. We support those politicians only insofar as they are worth it on these issues. We hold them to account. We don't just say, oh, I'm I'm a you know, this this is what I'm what I'm really talking about is to reject tribalism in politics. Oh, I'm a part of this tribe, I stay in this tribe, I don't ever move. No. That's a bad thing. If Democrats had not been so effective in creating that tribal effect, I think we would see many, many more joining the ranks of Trump supporters. I hope it happens. I'm not gonna hold my breath. You're in the freedom hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show Podcast. I know that you're not running, but do you ever feel the urge that, like, I could beat him if I were, or, like, I wish I'd go? You know?
3: Yeah, I, I, I certainly feel the urge because I, I feel like the 2016 election was um, really an odd, uh, an odd time and an odd outcome. And the more we learn, the more that seems to be the case. But I'm going to support the people who are running now and do everything I can to help elect uh, the Democratic nominee.
1: Spoken like somebody who's leaving the door open and just waiting on the sidelines for someone in the race to stumble. What happened? Hillary is still thinking about it, folks. She's still thinking about it. I mean, she told us she's thinking about it. But I mean, she's ready. She's ready. She is somebody who would hop in if they just all they have to do is clear a pathway for all they have to do is set it up so that, you know. She can make the case, all the donors, everything, all they all just. You got to remember with Democrats, they've, they've got they've got a lot of their states totally locked in. They could run anybody. You know, they could run any person. And the Democrats are guaranteed just as an anti-Trump vote to get, uh, you know, to get real to get real close. It's only about eight, nine states, maybe six or seven that really matter, maybe eight or nine that are in play in a realistic sense. And it's how do you appeal to those voters That could go either way in those states. So everyone says, oh, I mean, Hillary has universal name recognition, not necessarily positive, but universal name recognition. We got to think, well, what would happen if she were to get in? The race that I want to see, as I've been telling you, is Bernie versus Trump. That's what I want to see happen. Um, The race I think we will get. Actually, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I you know I wish I could uh make this prediction. Nobody really knows, right, producer Mark. No one can really tell you. Do I really sound like that? I sound like one of the one of the like the trees from the Lord of the Rings. The ents.
5: What your you? impression of yourself is just terrible.
1: Oh, well, that's not surprising.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, team, we have yet again a special treat for you here in the Freedom Hut. My man, Jesse Kelly, all eight foot seven of him, joining us now. He is the host of the Jesse Kelly Show, a host here on Pluto TV, channel 248, the first. Also, you can download the Jesse Kelly Show podcast. Mr. Kelly, good to have you back, sir.
6: It's gonna be here, Buck, and I'm thrilled for you that I get to be on your show
1: today. Oh no, I I, I thank you for making the time and, and the busy schedule and <laughs> we are all producer markets gets super excited about it too. So he's wondering when you're gonna come in here, but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to expand the doorway a bit so you can fit that uh that frame all the way in here, my friend. What's it like by the way? When you fly commercial, do they have to like put you in a special area? How do you do that?
6: It's very, I'll tell you this, I love being tall. I want to take it back to the world. I kind of wish sometimes I'd stopped about six four, six five. It is expensive. I have to special order my pants. And when it comes to flying, either I'm in an emergency exit row or I'm flying first class with the snobs or I ain't flying. Then it's just the bottom line. I do not fit in a normal economy seat.
1: I won't do it. I'll just stay home. So, perfect transition to the snobs. You will recall Mr. Jesse Kelly... And you're somebody who lives down in Texas. I believe you are from Texas, if memory serves, that uh, a couple of folks on CNN thought that they would have a whole lot of fun at Trump supporters, the Trump base's expense by doing the whole, you know, we don't like maps and we don't like books and ha ha, we can't spell. And, you know, there was this whole making fun of of Trump supporters thing. And and look, it showed us what these lib journos really think of the Trump base. And they do think that, by the way. It's not a surprise at all. But instead of just owning it, you know, instead of just accepting that that's what they did, we got a non-apology apology apology from uh, uh, Don Lemon. And, uh, Producer Mark, would you play the non-apology apology apology for us? I can't even—it's on here somewhere.
6: And one final note that I have for you, because this is personally important to me to address this, okay? Anyone, ask anyone who knows me, they'll tell you, I don't believe in belittling people belittling anyone for who they are, for what they believe, or where they're from. During an interview on Saturday night, one of my guests said something that made me laugh. And while in the moment, I found that joke humorous, and I didn't catch everything that was said, just to make this perfectly clear, I was laughing at the joke and not at any group of people.
1: Um, no. It's very clear from the clip, Jesse, that he knew exactly what they were doing. He thought it was hilarious, and he was laughing. So it's like, why even do this? Why not just say, yeah, I make fun of Trump supporters, move on, deal with it. I mean, at least that you could respect the the straightforwardness of it. I
6: would have respected it more, and I don't understand why people do this, because he didn't help himself— with that not apology he did not help himself with anybody who he had previously hurt himself with. You're right. He should have just either said nothing, just moved on because everyone would have forgot about it in a day, or he should have owned it, stood up and said, yeah, I laughed. As soon as I get the next chance to laugh at Trump supporters, I'm going to laugh again. I hate you all. And he should have gone on with it. But this is what they do. And, look, the honestly, the most amazing thing to me, Buck, is how stupid they are. And I don't mean that, you know, in just a general way. How can you be so dumb as to make fun of voters that you need on your side for the next election? And they've been doing this for three years. Politicians throughout history, beyond America, have understood you don't mock the very people you need to win over. And yet we've seen three years of this, of them scolding and shaming Trump voters. People, that's not how that works. You need some of those people who voted for Donald Trump to vote for the Democrat next year or you ain't going to the White
1: House. Also, I just would note that, you know, you've never seen... I, I've never seen an effort among, among conservatives in, in the media to do a... To, to, to single out a group of, you know, a regional group, which is clearly what was being done there, Of millions of voters in this country and mock them in that way and and really do so in a mean. I mean, they're saying that they're a bunch of illiterate rubes. I mean, actually, Wilson used the word rube, I believe, you know, that they're illiterate. They don't care about learning and all this stuff. Southern, older, white, mostly males, I think we could say is what they're going for here. And I, I think the problem that they have at CNN and elsewhere is that they really do hold those people in contempt. And put aside the the stupidity of making fun of them this way on TV, this just shows what we already knew, which is that they really do think this about those people.
6: They do. And I know you saw the GOP ad. Heck, you might have played it on your show where the, the GOP already did a mashup of that CNN interview with other Democrat politicians running for president saying similar things. And so the average rural voter, that's what it comes down to, they think these snooty liberal elites look down on them, and they're constantly reminded that their assumptions are correct. Stop doing that. Even if you really think that, do what every other halfway intelligent politician has done throughout history and say it behind closed doors. That's what you say to a buddy when the doors are closed. That's what you say to your wife after a long day campaigning. You don't go on television and tell people how dumb they are to their faces and then tell them, oh, by the way, you should vote for my
1: guy. That's not how it works. Did you see Bloomberg shaking the dog by the face?
6: <laughs> you know, the funniest thing to me about Bloomberg is it's painfully obvious who Bloomberg is. He's this fabulously wealthy. Jerk. And he's a very effective businessman. I've even heard he wasn't a bad mayor of New York, but he clearly is just a jerk. The guy is a world-class prick. Even when he's trying to smile, he comes off like a world-class prick. And so when he does these stupid things like trying to normalize and trying to... Look how friendly I am with the dog as I grab the top of its face and shake it back and forth. Abnormal people should never try to be normal people because then they look even more abnormal. Trump the way he did it right, that was the right way to do it. Fly in on your Trump jet and tell everyone how rich you
1: are. Just own who you are. And But also, he does that, but also when he says things like, you know, I like Big Macs and I like ordering food from like Chick-fil-A and KFC, you know— it wasn't like when John Kerry would all of a sudden decide that he was gonna be having photos of him hunting duck in the, you <laughs> out of the fields. And like, you know, and like, and then the next weekend he's wearing like a pink wetsuit windsurfing off of the, you know, the coast of Nantucket. It's like these guys do this thing where they're so inauthentic. You can be a billionaire and actually be a kind of, you know, lunch pail, sit down with the guys, making the building kind of a guy as long as it comes across as legit. All of these Democrats. And look, Blue Collar Joe is another one. Blue Collar Joe is a fancy rich guy pretending to be Blue Collar Joe. He's a total phony. Oh, they are. You know, Buck, I'm sure you've probably
6: seen it. If not, I'm sure your audience has... The show Veep on HBO, it's already done now. It was the most honest representation, it was a comedy, one of the funniest shows ever, most honest representation of actual politics ever, and that reminds me of a scene where the politician is going to get ice cream, her staff is making her, and she asks why, and they said, we're normalizing, we're going to go normalize. And she goes and eats ice cream and clearly hates it and has to pretend like she likes it, That is politics in real life, of these snooty, rich people pretending to be normal when they're not normal. Just don't pretend.
1: Now, uh, Elizabeth Warren, and we got Iowa a few days away. Uh, Well, actually, first, let's go... Let's hear what Biden's pitch is to Iowa voters. Bruce and Mark play three.
2: You want to replace these gas lines?
8: That's not going to
2: work. No, 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 no. we got to stop okay. building and replacing pipelines. Yeah. vote for someone All right.
8: Thanks so much, have sir. We're going to have you here tonight. So Thank you I'm so much. Thank you so much.
6: I'm going to vote you in the
3: general. You treat yeah, I know. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> well, can <laughs> I have well, you, you
6: you're, you're asking can you a picture of me.
2: You're coming up to tell me you don't support me. No, no. My much. plan? Yeah, you did. You I said I would support you in the general. In
3: the general. I'm looking for a primary. We're having to get
1: Wow. I guess uh, you know, Mr <laughs> Mr Magoo can get crotchety sometimes.
3: You know,
6: the best part with Buck is when the guy says, Well, I'm gonna support you at the general if you treat me right and Bidenflower responds, Well, I'm not. And on top of that, I'm sure people have seen the video of this, he has his hands all over the guy. He gives him that little too firm of a pat on the chest, kind of knocking the guy backwards. And he's grabbing his coat lapels. And he's just very kind of intimidating to the guy. And what all this is is Joe Biden is a career backup quarterback. He was a 30-year senator from Delaware, which with all due respect to Delaware, which nobody's ever been to, it's not a major state. Then he rides Obama's coat deals for eight years as vice president, where you have no responsibility whatsoever. And that convinced Biden that he's some kind of primetime player. And he gets out here, and now he's in so far over his head. And that's why he's snapping at reporters. He's poking his finger in people's chests. He called a supporter fat the other day on camera. Joe Biden did that on camera. I've never seen such a disaster in my
1: life. <laughs> Listen, fat. I remember. I remember. That. <laughs> that, was, that was quite a moment. And he's like, I didn't call him fat. I was, I was saying something else. I'm like, the Democrats. They, they will say anything, won't they? Uh, also, Elizabeth Warren trying to trying to regain some of the momentum she had a few weeks ago she says the polls are strong for a producer mark play 11 let's hear jesse's take on this one
3: polls are showing right now you're slipping bernie sanders is rising how do you explain what's going on out there? so you know it's funny you would say that i I really don't focus on polls and haven't from the beginning. I thought what you were going to start with is I just got endorsed by the Des Moines Register. All right. and i bring I've that been endorsed, the Right. And I've been endorsed by the Storm Lake Times. You know, what I feel, and that's all I can tell you, when I'm out in Iowa is I feel how many people truly are off the sidelines and in this fight people all across Iowa and that's true whether we're in cities or rural Iowa understand that for decades now we have had a government that works just great for giant corporations works just great for billionaires works just great for the whole lobbying class it's just not working for them and when you've got a government that works great for those at the top and not for everyone else It's corruption. And we have a chance in 2020 to turn that around. And that's why I think so many people are in this fight. People wanna make this happen. That's how we're gonna beat Donald Trump. I talk about what's gone on for decades. Donald Trump has taken uh, corruption to new lows. We're going to draw the distinction between a corrupt president and someone who's willing to stand up to those corporations. That's how I'm going to beat Donald Trump in November.
1: All right. Producer Mark, we're going to give you code red. That was the longest Elizabeth Warren clip. Jesse and I are sitting here suffering through that. The audience is suffering through that. No more than, we have a 40-second limit on Elizabeth Warren from now on. I might even make it a 30-second limit. That was brutal. It was brutal being lectured by that cyborg librarian. Uh, So... So, Jesse, she completely skipped. Like, she's asked about polls. She's like, oh, I don't even care about polls. So then she goes to this whole other—it's like she gives her entire campaign speech in response to the supporter's question. Maybe that's why she's slipping relative to Bernie, because she's weird.
6: She is weird. Well, you know how we just call Joe Biden a backup quarterback— the entire Democrat field are backup quarterbacks and the reason the race keeps fluctuating, one guy will be in the lead and then he gets leapfrogged and then he gets leapfrogged is they keep putting in the backup and the backup keeps throwing three interceptions and then they're like, oh this guy sucked, now I remember why he was a backup and then they turn to the next guy. I just heard Klobuchar overtook Elizabeth Warren in Iowa pulling Klobuchar of all people. Nobody knows who that person is other than the fact that she tucks binders at people. Elizabeth Warren was never going to be the nominee because she comes
1: off about as authentic as a t1 rolex ah i guess that means i need to get my Tijuana one rolex appraised <laughs> there we go <laughs> so so jesse who do you think coming do you have a prediction for us for iowa I think think Bernie Sanders is going to take it, and I think the Democrats have
6: nobody but themselves to blame. I don't think he would have had a shot except they all piled on him. People expect politicians to attack other politicians. But when it looks coordinated, when CNN does it and then Elizabeth Warren does it, then Kohlbeil gets in on the act. and Everybody piles on Bernie at the same time. Now it goes from politics to bullying in people's minds, and people do not like that. I've even seen conservatives defending that duttering old old communist. That's when you know it really did not work. Coordinated attacks like that do not work.
1: If Bernie wins Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, is he the Democrat nominee in your mind? I mean, is that going to (laughs) happen?
6: No, the Democrat Party, for all their faults, I at least applaud them on the fact they own the fact they are horrendously corrupt and bought and paid for. Bernie could win all 50 states and they would still find a way to slip a knife between his ribs and give it to somebody else. The Democrat Party would never stand for Bernie Sanders being their nominee.
1: Very interesting. You heard it from Jesse Kelly, everybody. Check him out on Pluto TV, Channel 248, The First, The Jesse Kelly Show. Also, you can find him on the iHeartRadio app. Jesse, good to talk to you, my man. We'll talk soon. You're good, brother. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So it is the Super Bowl this Sunday, and I wanted to get the – because I'm going to be – out tomorrow, Madison Jeziada is going to be in for me, so I'll get a chance to chat with you all and producer Mark on Friday, but I wanted to get a little bit of, little bit of producer Mark's Super Bowl do's and don'ts. For example, Mark, oh. what is in fact the most essential food to have on Super Bowl Sunday?
5: So my wife makes this thing that is the, all my friends love it, we have to take it to every party, buffalo chicken dip. It's so simple, but delicious. It's just, you take a rotisserie chicken, you shred it up, buffalo sauce, cream cheese, more cheese on the top. Bake it. It's the best thing ever. That sounds amazing, actually. It's so good.
1: And it's, by the way, that is gluten-free.
5: I can tell just that by the That is gluten-free. You, you, you eat it with like some this. cucumbers or something, yeah. Cucumbers. Do I look like a vegan? What do you think? Well, this- because I'm, chips usually aren't gluten-free. Oh, yeah. No, corn. Corn chips. Oh,
1: oh, corn yeah, chips. Yeah, okay. corn yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> so I was thinking, I was like, you throw a cucumber
5: my way? What is this? We normally eat it with tostitos. Yeah. So, you know. Ooh. Yeah. I, I
1: don't yeah. know. Like some of those soups. chips. I think Doritos actually have gluten, which makes me sad on the inside because Doritos are deliciously terrible for you. They don't you, make gluten
5: free ones yet? I'm I don't don't sure know. they will.
1: I'm figuring it out. But so, okay. So you get the chicken dip. And then are you a big Super Bowl halftime guy or do you do you mingle with the family and friends uh, that It
5: depends on who's performing. Who's performing? Shakira and J Lo. I like J Lo. Not a big Shakira. They're bringing her out of of the retirement home for this? Well, she was just in that movie.
1: Yeah, that movie. By the way, I I do not. It's okay. I do not approve. Uh, drugging people and robbing them is is horrendous they very I mean, easily was, they yeah. very easily could have killed somebody I watched that movie on a plane I was appalled by it it was based on a true story I understand Russ, that yeah. but they're kind of like treat them they, they kind of treat the protagonists in that or the, you know, the, the 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 central characters like you know yeah we were just kind of like pushing the envelope a little bit You they easily could have killed somebody oh, yeah. doing that
5: I just think it was very boring it was repetitive it's like alright we're doing this thing and we do it again and we do it again and we like there was no like big moment yeah I,
1: I, I think that there was kind of lying these this is the movie Hustlers, by the way. I think it was lionizing these women who were who were uh, fraudsters and thieves, and, and putting the biggest thing for me is they're putting people's lives in jeopardy. Yes. I mean, and there's no way around that. I mean, when you're drugging people with MDMA and ketamine, they're not chemists, they're not pharmacists, they don't know what they're doing. They're just trying this out on people. They don't know what they don't know what drugs are already in somebody's system, prescription drugs perhaps, drug interactions. Super dangerous what they were doing. People say, oh, they didn't kill anybody. They could have. That's why drugging people is a very serious crime. So anyway, I know I just. Uh, you know, by the way, there's um, one of them uh, is uh, one of the women that that's based on suing the movie really? for not making her look more you know ethical not to the guys she ripped them off she agrees sure. but ethical to her colleagues and and uh, you know partners in crime oh well yes ugh. you know honor among thieves essentially is what what is expected I suppose well, she deserves it because she's just yeah. a great
5: person yeah uh-huh. so
1: but where, where are you has Shakira had a song in 15 years that anyone no knows. Why can't they get a band that anyone actually gets that anyone gets excited about for this? I don't understand.
5: I think ever since the Justin Timberlake, uh, Janet Jackson, thing. it's been down. And yet, what is the Super Bowl halftime show that everybody remembers? That one.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's usually a combination of, like, you know, well-known hip-hop guy comes in at some point, and then Aerosmith has to come in at some point. Sure. And then there's kind of the, like, broad, like, biggest, you know, denominator of viewership, listenership. You know, like a band like you two or Coldplay or something. It's like, ah well, uh, at right. least
5: it's finally gotten back to pop stars because for a while it was like Tom Petty and like these older guys who you knew weren't gonna do anything like show their nipple you, you, on me. You know what television. is amazing
1: is that is that boomers Boomers think that the music of their generation, those acts. it's not the music. The music is timeless, but that those acts i've never I've never heard a boomer who was willing to say, that Mick Jagger just needs to hang it up. Like it's enough is enough. Like it's too much. Have enough.
5: you seen those videos of him dancing? At like, what is he eighty? <laughs> he dances better than me. He moves around better than well, I he do. He moves
1: around better than I do too. But <laughs> it doesn't mean it's not time for him to think about something else. I'm just saying right, that's right. I get salty with the these with musicians the just
5: love performing. Fair Can't enough. take it away from them.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio Radio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: I haven't felt the pain that sharp in a while, 47 years old, uh, two, lost two grandmothers, lost a Sarge, lost my sister, and now I lost a little brother. It just makes me think that in, in life, sometimes instead of holding back certain things we should just do. Up here we work a lot and I think a lot of times we, we, we take stuff for granted like I don't talk to you guys as much as I, as much as I need to the fact that uh we're not going to be able to joke at his hall of fame ceremony we're not going to be able to say huh, I got five, you got four the fact that we're not going to be able to say if we would stay together we could have got ten for the you can't get back.
1: Shaquille O'Neal, it's uh, a gut punch just listening to it. Shaquille O'Neal talking about the loss that he feels after the uh, tragic and uh, hi- highly untimely death of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and uh, seven other people in a helicopter crash that now they say they didn't have an early they didn't have an elevation detection warning equipment that is recommended but i think not required on all helicopters you know you you would think that uh, in a situation like this kobe Bryant was someone who flew on helicopters constantly he did this regularly this was not a a one-off um you would expect that his pilot would have had all of the most advanced equipment to make sure that safety was the priority and the NTSB says that it'll be 12 to 18 months before they'll even really know fully what happened in the crash. But Shaq, I, I've never seen or heard Shaq cry before. I don't know if any of you have in some other instance, maybe, maybe tears of joy after winning a national championship, but I've never heard him break down like that. He obviously feels a lot of pain from uh, missing Kobe Bryant, and it just would never occur to the people that were very close with someone who is um, still so young, so vital, so much a a part of the public consciousness that that this could happen. And it it has been it has been sad and it has been touching to hear the stories that people share of their personal interaction with Kobe Bryant. And then there's this other part of of this of this uh, figure who uh, was clearly one of the best athletes in the world in his sport, one of the most famous and most accomplished basketball players of all time, but also did things that I had never heard of before. I'd never heard of him doing these things before. And that I think that he should, we should remember uh, some of what Kobe Bryant did in his life. This is or this was making the rounds on Facebook from uh, Kristen O'Connor Hecht. And it's a story that, uh, that she told. And I just wanted to share it with you here. This is just right off of her Facebook page. So I have a story. When we lived in Phoenix, frequently my and Tom, Tom Hecht, Tom's paths would cross in our work. A pediatric cardiologist I worked with asked me if Tom could get an autographed something from the Lakers for a five-year-old dying patient who was named Kobe. He was from one of the reservations in Arizona where basketball is life. I called Tom at the Phoenix Suns, making the request, believing that there would be virtually no way this would happen. The Lakers were coming to play the Suns later in the week. A day later, Tom called me and said, he'll do it. I was thrilled and thought I'd bring the ball or whatever it was to work that day. Tom said, no. He read your story. He wants to come and meet the little boy. I was floored. So the next day, with the support of the Colangelo family, a limousine brought Kobe Bryant to my office. Under a cloak of secrecy, neither security nor PR present. uh, I got in a little trouble for that, but it was so worth it. The three of us scrambled up a back staircase to this little boy's room in the cardiac intensive care unit. For the better part of an hour, they played basketball, passing it back and forth with little Kobe laughing, his sweet mama smiling and also laughing. Several autographed items were left and many photos were taken. The machines keeping him alive were dinging, whirring and alarming. And his doc was just grinning from ear to ear as Tom and I stood nervously watching this unbelievable scene unfold before us. As we got back in the limo, Kobe Kobe turned to me and said, Kristen, what can I do to help? Is it a financial thing? Because I can take care of that. It wasn't. The little boy had a heart defect and was too ill for a transplant. I was floored. I was floored not only by his sincerity and offer of generosity, but the kindness and warmth he displayed. Little Kobe passed away the following week. About three weeks later, I got a letter from little Kobe's mom describing the power in those moments. She said those were the most joyful moments of his entire life. The photos were the only photos she had of him where he was smiling. According to Kobe's PR people, he did this everywhere, but the deal was no PR from that day on he has been my hero and when people would tell me they didn't like him i would say let me tell you a story about kobe bryant may god shine eternal light upon your soul kobe you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show
0: podcast team buck it's time for roll call
1: Alright, roll call, everybody. Let's uh, let's get to it. See what we got today. Remember, if you want to send in something for roll call, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, send us a message there. Or if you prefer email team buck at iHeartMedia.com. All right, let's see what we got here. Um Hi, Buck, a few things. It's not Porsche, it's Porsche. There is no ah uh at the end. I know you're not a car guy. I can forgive this, but you're hurting my car girl ears every time you mispronounce the name of such a lovely car. Is that true? It's just called a Porsche? Because, I mean- I believe that's the true. The name comes from German, and it would be Porsche in German. It wouldn't be The name is Porsche, like the name of the of human beings.
5: I think in America, it's called a we Porsche. We just call it a Porsche? I remember there was an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when Will and Hillary are arguing Porsche, or Porsche. Really? That's the only reason I know the difference. I mean, it's you know, it could be one of those
1: things. It's a little bit like you know, the the name. I mean, it, Notre Dame is the French, but Notre Dame is the school. So maybe that's we call it a Porsche here, but I don't think they call it a Porsche in
5: Germany where it is made. Probably not. Uh, it's one of those American I am, Americanized. I don't know, Laura. Well, I got to like, check this one. Adidas is Adidas overseas.
1: Yeah. So maybe it's Porsche here, but Porsche overseas. I'll, yeah. I'll look into this. Another one that people get wrong all the time, by the way, it's Heckler & Coke, not Heckler & Koch. A lot of people say that one for HK, the uh, firearms manufacturer. Just trying to help people out.
5: Over my head there. I, 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 first, I thought you were talking about an alcoholic beverage.
1: I, I probably know more about guns than sports these days. Um, Laurel. Oh, wait. We were just doing Laurel. Please don't watch The Bachelor. I'm always amazed how many card-carrying feminists get so excited over what I think is a twenty-two-year-old guy's dream of having a house full of hot girls falling all over themselves to be with him. Um. Anyway, uh, what? Wait, wait. This is why relationships. Hold on, I can't. It's not working. My phone just froze up there. Sorry, but yes, I I agree with you. I don't understand why any female who thinks of herself as a feminist or just any female, period, likes watching all these women fight over one guy in this contrived environment. It's bizarre to me. I do not understand, but, you know, I'm not a reality TV guy. What can I say? Tim, greetings from the upstate region of the People Socialist Republic of New York. I recently came across a post on Facebook promoting the Article 5 Convention of the States, which I'm in favor of. I'm concerned with the comments on that post. A lot of conservatives and patriots writing any political solutions off and hinting at civil disobedience and civil war being the only remaining solution. It appears that frustration over rampant corruption and lying by politicians has brought people to a point of hopelessness in any process. Your thought shields high. Uh, Tim, the convention of the states is a very interesting idea. It will not happen in my lifetime. So that's my prediction. People can get mad at me. I'm just making a prediction. Maybe I'll be wrong. Probably not though, uh, Marco. Hey, Buck. Completely agree with you about the titles, with possibly one exception. Retired military officers attending the rank of colonel, like Navy captain, are and above, are entitled to keep their titles in retirement. Those are currently the rules. Are you for this, or are you more a purist as to the title rules? Shields high, Marco. I'm fine with you know if if as you know as an honorific for people that serve in the military, if they're going to keep titles based on whatever you know military tradition is. That I that I'm okay with making an exception exception to. Although you know, when someone's you got to think. I mean, if someone's a civilian, are you still calling them general? Really, I don't know. I'm just putting that. out, you know. But in turn, of the the one that really gets me is ambassador, speaker. You know, any anything that you're you're like an appointee or you're you won elected office and you're, you know, you're not. It's not President Obama. You can say former President Obama or former President Bush. It's not President Bush. He's not President anymore. I think we need to. You agree with me on this? One. That's you know what I'm i was right.
5: going to ask. Actually, I was going to say, what about President?
1: Yeah. No. Same. Okay. You can say former President. That's that's a, but that's not a title anybody wants to say. I feel really.
5: like Ambassador and
1: President is different. Well, of course, President's uh, sure a considerably bigger deal. I mean, like you, you were just, always a U.S. President. Right. You you could you can write a check and become an ambassador basically that's the sure. way it works you write a check to a president's campaign and you get to be the ambassador to you know antigua or something or the bahamas or somewhere yeah. you know or, or germany i, mean, I think can, it depends
5: i'll Some... be the ambassador to the Bahamas. that'd be nice i'm cool with that yeah that'd be nice yeah yeah
1: i, I could i could handle that for sure david hey buck <laughs> Uh, I love the Bachelor talk gosh I should have brought that up you start introducing yourself to women as follows hi my name is Buck actually that isn't my first name my last name has to do with taking care of churches I know it sounds complicated so my buddies call me Captain Curmudgeon anyway enough about yourself tell me about yourself the ladies would love that Um. okay <laughs> thanks David I thought I was going to get a little bit tougher stuff there for watching The Bachelor but I, I cannot I cannot hide from the team my viewing habits I can't hide Jeff. Hey, Buck, this is Trucker Jeff from California. I absolutely love your show. I think you should call Producer Mark's segment either the penalty box or the crease since he likes hockey so much. I think we've got it. I like the penalty box for you.
5: Do you know what the crease is? No, no idea. Oh, my God. Where the goalie stands. Really? The blue paint. It's called the crease. Which one of those do you like better, the penalty box or the crease? I know you're going to go with penalty box. No, no, That's I can do I either. Say. Do you like the crease better? I prefer penalty box. Yeah. That's, I feel like that fits
1: with my vibe. The penalty box. That's There we go. Yeah. Mark is in the penalty box. We might even have to set up a little. I like this. Maybe this we'll is put good. a
5: little line right here yeah. in my
1: little I, I, Of course, I cannot, I cannot cross because then I'm in the penalty. Oh. Well, there we go. Love the show. Both of you guys keep on fighting the good fight. Jeff, great suggestion, man. We love it. Thank you so much. Appreciate you... Uh, Sending in. So, see, we love taking people's uh, ideas here. Vincent writes The population of Vermont is only 623,000. Sorry, I said a couple million. I was off. They have two U.S. senators, but only one House of Representatives member because they have a minimum population. The city of Burlington, where Bernie Sanders was mayor, has a population of only 52,000. Most of the local residents who haven't moved there from New York City are, are poor people in need of uh, financial aid. Uh, all right. The comment about the poor people applies to the entire state, not necessarily the large city, uh, large for Vermont of Burlington. Yeah, thank you, Vincent. Sorry I got the population wrong. I knew it was a small population. I didn't realize it was that small. 623,000. That's not even a really—the whole population of the state is not even the size of a pretty big city, you know, a a good-sized city. I mean, how many many U.S. cities have over a half million people? There's got to be at least— uh, what, I mean, off the top of my head, 15 or 20? You I feel
5: think. like Tribeca alone in Manhattan has half a million yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, look,
1: like you think uh, L.A., Houston, New York, Miami, Chicago, Dallas, Phoenix probably has got upwards of seven figures now, right? Uh, Seattle's got to have over Houston, seven figures. Oh, I said Austin. Houston. Houston's one of the top five, I think, now. Austin, I don't know if yeah. Austin Austin might be like growing. a couple hundred. Maybe 250,000, maybe 500,000, something like that. Um, but you know, there's a lot of U.S. cities that uh, Baltimore's got over half a million people. San I mean, Francisco. San Francisco has got over San Diego. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you got half the least. cities
5: in California, yeah. Yeah,
1: so I mean, you got a lot of a lot of cities that have, um, you know, a state that have have a greater population than the state of Vermont. That's a good point, Brett. Buck, 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 buck. You want a five minute rant on Monday, and not? Not calling people their previous titles. Then Tuesday you open the show, and I quote, Ambassador Bolton, we expect more from you. We will afford you more flexibility after the election. I'll keep up the great work, Brett. Yeah, man, I'm sorry. I just, that's what everyone refers to as Ambassador Bolton. I, I agree with you. I don't like it. I don't like it. That's why I call him uh, Walrus Bolton today, or Mustache Bolton. That's a title he gets to keep until he shaves that stash. Then he loses the title. Because we are civilized people here, and there are rules that we follow. So you shave the mustache, you're no longer mustache Bolton. This is the way. Alice. Hey, Buck, I was thrilled to hear about your recipe for the best steak ever on your show the other day. That is exactly the way my husband makes it, He except he adds a knob of unsalted butter and a large sprig of rosemary to finish. It's steak. It's steakhouse perfect every time. It's not even the same culinary category as steak on the grill, right? Now you need to learn to make palm anna... To complete your dinner, I don't. Know, I assume that's some kind of a French fry, but how do how do what is palm, palm? I don't know what that is. Uh, it's a it's some kind of potato. I know palm like palm frites is French fries. Mais oui, bien sûr. But uh, I don't know what palm anna is, so we'd have to figure that out. When I repeat something like that a few times, usually producer Mark Google it. But he's not googling it right now because he's busy trying to make the show on the air, like not not cut off, which is important too. Uh, yeah, the reverse here, by the way. Looks like it's sliced, layered potatoes. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, I that mean, I, pota- I love potato. Potatoes are a weakness for me, though. Any like well, produced mashed, fried, scalloped, baked. ever I just love. I mean, I'm Irish. I love potatoes, and unfortunately, it's not good for the uh, you, you remember. Like little we're do we got We got to do a weigh in in like you know <laughs> no, March, April.
5: Absolutely
1: not. We uh, producer Mark and I are getting in fighting shape. It's happening, or we're, we're both going to be in the penalty box. So there we go. How's it coming along, though? Terrible. Sunday coming well, uh, up, right? Now I have a terrible But chicken, chicken wings on Super Bowl Sunday don't count. Oh, yeah. No food count. on Super Bowl Sunday counts. Doesn't count. No, no, no. That's, I think we're doing pizza. You get a pass. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Nice stuff. Well, yeah, thank you. By the way, guys, try the reverse here. Look it up on YouTube. I'll do a video on, on reverse here on YouTube. How about that? That'd be kind of fun. For our new YouTube channel, which will be up soon. Uh, that's it for today, my friends. Fantastic show. Enjoyed your company. Thanks for hanging out here. Please do pass the buck. Tell somebody to download the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, say, hey, it's the election year. You want to learn some cool stuff? Listen to this guy. iHeart app or Apple Podcasts. Until Friday, because I'm out tomorrow. Madison's in for me tomorrow. Shields high.